Welcome to another edition of Cheese Steaks With. I'm not only very excited about this conversation, I am in need of it for a plethora of reasons. For one, it is my understanding that you, sir, have literally compiled a book's worth of material on what makes a cheesesteak great. And for those of you who have been following along with my reviews, you know that sometimes my grading can be inconsistent, to put it mildly. Mainly, I struggle with the cheese selection, but we can get to that later. Why I'm especially in need of this conversation is I don't think I've talked about this on any of my channels yet, so, dear listener, perk up for a major reveal. I'm actually expecting a baby girl in two weeks. And I know the cliche thing is for a dad to say he doesn't want a girl and I'm going to get a shotgun for when they start dating, but honestly, I'm not worried about that as much as I'm worried about raising a kid in this current climate. To put it bluntly, the little experience I've had with the younger generation is that they are just so sensitive. Along with my guest, who is the head woman's coach at LaSalle University, I actually have some coaching experience as well. I coached lacrosse for a little bit in 2007 and 8, and then a little bit more recently in 2017, 2018. And just in those 10 years, the difference I saw in the way the kids were was insane. In 2007, I was the fun, relatable coach on the staff. And in 2017, I was the hard ass just because I expected the kids to show up for practice on time and occasionally raise my voice. So I thought it'd be really interesting to hear your perspective on that, being that you've coached both men and women over the span of, what, two decades? Wow. And before we get to that, you need to confirm or deny something that I heard through the grapevine. Is it true that Kobe Bryant tried out for your AAU team and you cut him? Not exactly. Not exactly. So the story is like this. I uh, I was a young coach. Uh, I think I was probably 22, 23 years old. And um, a player who would play the Cardinal Harris, John Gallagher, wanted to start an AAU team. So he was, I guess he was a junior in high school. And so we got together with... Uh, a bunch of his friends and asked me if I would coach the team for him. John Gallagher is now the uh, head coach at Hartford. So he, anyway, he got uh, two guys at Carroll, Paul Romanchik, Mike Ferkler. He got Tommy Hauer, who was the all-time leading scorer in southeastern Pennsylvania at one point, um, if he's not still today. Uh, Mike Nestor from Bonner and one of his teammates, Craig Klein from O'Hara. Really good team we put together. And we went out there and we played some really good basketball. We ended up winning the Mid-Atlantic District. Um, beat Chester three times in the, in the tournament down there. And we were part of a program called Mainline AAU. So Mainline was run by um, Tommy Riley. It was a girls' basketball program. Um, so we went under that umbrella. And anyway, so Tom worked at Villanova, and I was visiting him with one day. And we would qualified uh, to go to nationals. And he had, uh, Joe Bryant had reached out to, to Tom and said, hey, can Kobe go with, the, you know, that your team to Nationals? So at the time, um, Kobe was, Kobe, people Kobe, knew Kobe. Oh, he, he was a sophomore in high school. Okay, he was so, one of the best players around. Gotcha. Period. As the story has it, um, Tommy Howard and Kobe had some real rivalry. Sun Valley, Lower Marion. Um, I think, you know, one, one game Tommy had uh, 39 and Kobe had 37 and Sun Valley won an overtime. And oh, these guys wow. were going at it. Right. And I guess in a, in a, in Arbor, some league game they didn't really get along there was some words exchanged whatever so i ran it by the guys i was like hey you know we can pick up kobe to go with us i was excited about it and they were like nah you know we don't we don't want him because tommy's our guy and tommy and kobe don't get along and so i told uh i told um mr riley i said now we're gonna we're gonna pass on, on kobe. oh right. wow <laughs> <laughs> now I, I did not have the uh the uh, autonomy that you know you know i do now as a head coach like i was uh 
kind of coaching the team because the group of guys asked me to coach the team. So it really was their call. So I'm going to put that back on them. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. But I, uh, that's kind of regrettable. Ultimately, Tommy didn't even come with us to the national team. Oh, no way. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, oh, wow. But that was a fun couple of years coaching yeah. that school, though. So it wasn't a matter of Kobe felt like he got snubbed. No, I don't even think Kobe even knew. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Makes me think of the the story. It's one of my least favorite stories, by the way. It's received by people that Michael Jordan got cut. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Because everyone thinks, and everybody always used that story, just like they use it when Albert Einstein got flunked out of sixth grade. They use that when they come up short, they get cut or something, and they're like, well, Michael Jordan got cut. Albert Einstein flunked out. It's like, well, Michael Jordan got cut as a freshman to play for the varsity team. Yeah. And Albert Einstein flunked out because his teacher was annoyed with him because he was asking questions that the teacher couldn't answer. I've always thought when you hear stories about somebody – getting cut or a lot of times you hear like a teacher will say like oh you'll never be an engineer you'll never be a nurse so I worked my butt off and I showed that teacher you know yeah. I always got the impression like that coach that cut Michael Jordan I feel like he's one of the most underrated coaches ever because I, I know from my experience I'm sure you do because I feel like it's a very common thing where when you have a lot of success early in anything you, it's easy to fall into the trap of like, well, I'm good enough. I don't need to practice extra hard. Or, yeah. And I, I did hear that after Michael Jordan got cut, he worked his butt off that summer, you know? Yeah. So it's like, if he made that team, I wonder if he skated a little more, you know? I wonder. Yeah, I don't think the coach was thinking about Michael Jordan's future. He wasn't one of the better players. And that was that. I also think that, you know, knowing what I, I've seen in freshman boys, Michael Jordan could have easily been, you know, 5'11", 5'8", underskilled guard, and the next year he tried out for the team, he could have been 6'3", and, and, and throwing it down. So, right. you know, the boys change quick and they grow up fast, so there's no shame in not making yeah. the team your freshman year. On that note, I do want to ask you, there is definitely, at least the way I was coached and the way I was brought up, it was a lot more aggressive, a lot more yelling, a lot more, uh, I don't know the correct term, but maybe like negative motivation, which isn't as well received now anymore. So as a coach, have you seen that? And I know you're at a very high level, division one. I. I mean, it doesn't get any higher than that for a professional. Maybe a little different um, dealing with those athletes, but have you seen a difference in the way yes. you have to approach coaching? Yes. Um, I, but I, I think a lot of people perceive it as, well, the kids are different today. So the coaches have to be different. And I, I really don't think that that's the, the key element. First off, it, it's anything the kids are comes from the parents, okay? And those are the parents maybe who grew up with coaches who were different than they are today. True, But true. also, it's also the evolving of coaching and understanding, um, you know, what it takes to really be successful. Um, if you're doing things as an athlete because you're afraid of the coach, you're not going to be the best you can really be. A great coach is going to get you to want to be your best. A great coach is going to get you to desire greatness, not to be scared into greatness. And that tactic does work to some degree. Um, that's why it was so widely used. But if, if players and teams are really going to reach their maximum potential, it has to be about shared sacrifice. It has to be about wanting to do it for each other, not doing it because the coach is making me do it. And I think a big part of it is that coaches now understand that better. Um, they've learned how to, you know, behave themselves in a way that's really going to get the most out of people, not most out of some and have other people. Well, I just read this book called Do Hard Things. 
and uh, it's a really good book. But it talks about you. You've heard the story about uh, uh, is it the it, the Junction Boys? Bear Bryant. Um, he took his. Uh, I don't remember even. Oh yeah, yeah, in Texas. Yeah, he took his team to um, camp preseason camp and basically he took over a really bad team and he had this hellish camp where things were really hard he was you know unreasonable really tough on him and half the team quit most of the team quit and then four years later you know they're national champions right that's that's the story and that's the mindset like make things you know so hard and uncomfortable that you know that only the strong survive kind of right thing. right well well details to that story i got out of the book is that, like five of those players who um, quit that team, went on to be All-Americans elsewhere and win championships. Oh, wow. Okay. And the players who were on that team, there was only one or two who won the national championship four years later. Oh, that's so interesting. So it was different, but, yeah. but they always point to like that being the example. But the reality is what he did was weed out the, those who weren't desperate to play football. So there's kids who, who would do anything to stay on the team. Yeah. It was their whole identity. It was all they had. But then there were other people who said, no, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing this. Even though I love this and I'm great at it and I want to be great, this isn't making me great. This is just kind of abusive. Yeah. And so they stepped aside. So I think, but that, those stories like that um, have kind of shaped coaching's image of toughness for a long time. But I think real toughness is demanding the most out of yourself and trying to push past your limits, but being honest with expectations and goals, like telling a team uh, that you should have beat that team and making them run sprints and punishing them afterwards because you, you lost to that team when they're really not at the level of that team. Like you have to be a real, like you shouldn't have beat that team. Right. It's okay to be honest about that. You should have been much better than you were today. The fact that we lost, like I was, you know, my son has some great coaches um, that are working with him, but you know, on one of his teams, they had to, run sprints for every point they gave up okay and the week before they didn't give up any points they didn't run any sprints the next week they gave up 21 points i said but you played much better defense the week you gave up the 21 points the other team was so much better like yeah so like it, it should those things should fit um and you not do there shouldn't necessarily always be punishments for not achieving a certain thing it should really be based on how much are you getting out of your own talents yeah how far you push yourself so i think in coaching, we've become to understand those things a little bit better, and um, so now kids have maybe been been coached a little gentler because they've reached more kids in doing that. But then they're maybe not quite as tough as they once were because they didn't have to deal with a coach who was really negative all and really hard all the time. So there's a balance there for sure. Um, we actually were our, my team today. Uh, we had the program in, um, and they are uh, former uh, Navy SEALs, ex-military who teach championship mentality and teamwork and leadership. And, you know, their approach out there is, is, is different than my daily approach. But what they're doing is kind of what I think I lack a little bit in my daily approach. Like, they're not allowing any any wiggle room in the in the plan right there's no so, so the kid does the push-up you know without their heels together everybody does it again if they're not loud enough boom everybody does it again yeah. more the old school way yes and and there, and there's a place for that because we need to find a little bit more moxie a little bit more toughness as us there's that balance though right when that goes too far you get you know bobby knight and you know in his later years at his worst where it's now counterproductive yeah and you got good players not giving you the most because they're scared or threatened or whatever else. They're, right. You know, coaching is about finding that balance. Now, finding that balance, I've always wondered about coaches. Like, 
Bobby Knight or, you know, I had a high school football coach that one day he was yelling. At, I was on scout defense. He was yelling at the tight end that was supposed to block me. And in showing the tight end what he was supposed to do, he steps into me and he sent me flying. It was indoor practice, so we were in the basketball gym, yeah. and I went sliding across the basketball floor. And I wasn't hurt or anything. It was one of those things where, like, everyone was like, try not to laugh, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a helmet and pads on. But the next day, he came up to me at the team dinner, and he was like, uh, you know, some of the seniors told me that uh, I-, I hit you during practice. And I'm like, I still always wondered. I was like, was he really that involved that he didn't realize it? Or was this his way of saying, like, I can't admit to what I did? Or I watch coaches like Bobby Knight or, you know, I went to Temple, as did you, correct? Mm-hmm. And you, were you there with John Chaney? I was. I and I'm a huge fan of John yeah. Chaney, you know? And maybe Bobby Knight's an extreme example, throwing the chair. But, you know, like, how do you find that balance versus, like, are there ever times where you're just so frustrated with this? There's team? no doubt. I mean, you you can watch me on a daily basis in practice um, and see one thing, and then on another day, see something different because, you know, we all have our points where, you know, we're passionate about what we're doing and we're not doing it well for a prolonged period of time. And, like, you know, and I even talk about this, like, with officiating, right? Um, I think I have a, a pretty good rapport with uh, the officials, but a lot of times I say way too much and I complain way too much, you know, and half the time, even in sometimes in the spur of it, I'll bet, listen, sorry about that. I'm just really frustrated with the way we're playing, and sometimes it came out came yeah. out on you. Like you probably got all those calls right, but I'm losing my environment right now because we're not being tough enough or smart enough. But like, so yes, when you're when you're passionate about something, sometimes you know you didn't check yourself, but that's something you have to develop and work at. You've yeah. got to know where your lines are. You've got to be able to take a step back. That's why you have assistant coaches to help you out with that. And those who can't do that get in trouble. Now, speaking of that frustration, uh, as I mentioned. I have a little girl on the way, yeah. and I've never had a sister. I, I want to raise her to be tough and strong, um, but I was also raised, uh, you know, my grandfather was uh, Irish Catholic, Southwest Philadelphia kind of guy where it's like, you don't curse around women kind of deal. My dad's still of, you know, it's kind of funny. My dad, he says he's, uh, what's the term, chauvinistic. Because he thinks it's like a, it's like chivalrous. Like to him, chivalry and chivalry are the same thing. Where I know people in my peer group and younger, where it's like, don't treat me different, you know. So I guess I'm curious, and I know a, as a D1 head coach is different because these are the top athletes, you know, right below professional level. But you also have experience coaching AAU, yeah. high school, correct? Mm-hmm. And you, uh, oh, that's right. I'm sure. You, do you coach your kids? Or? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So. When expressing that frustration as a coach, do you find you have a different approach with boys and girls? No. No. The message I would say to anybody, parents in general, like you need to learn how to express yourself appropriately, right? You can communicate the message without losing your mind, right? And sometimes maybe you will, and then you need to check that behavior and be better at it. So um, it shouldn't matter whether it's a boy or a girl. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be abusive to either. Yeah. And you shouldn't, you know, you, you should set boundaries for yourself on how to behave. So I'm not, um, I probably have um, not guarded my speech as well more recently than, you know, but throughout my whole coaching career, I rarely ever used the foul word coming up, right? And I got mad and angry 
right? And, and express like, you know, this is not the standard that we're supposed to meet. And they all knew it. And they're like, and they straightened up. But like, it was never, it, it never a personal attack on, on one individual. And it was a demand to be better. So you demand of your daughter to meet the standard that you want her to meet, but you don't have to be any different than you would with your son. Maybe you need to be better behaved with your son if you think that standard should be different. That's a really good point. Looking back at my coaches, you can't, they, they weren't coaching the boys' football team or the girls' football team or the boys' yeah. lacrosse team or sure. the girls' lacrosse team, but there were definitely things that were personal attacks. And the way they would say something to a guy who made a mistake, maybe a guy manager who made a mistake, yeah. not the same as a girl manager. So, you know, looking back, I guess what I saw was a different reaction because maybe it was inappropriate or maybe they knew it was yeah. wrong. You know, part of it is that the line between how we coach the kids and how they respond, it's really difficult because, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, you know, tell you that you're lazy and worthless and you're a piece of trash, right? Which is what I was told yeah, all the time. Yeah. But you would, I would like my child, right, if they were told that, to be able to handle that. At the same time, right? That is yeah. the most perfect way. That's exactly yeah. what I would want for my kid. And I guess that's what I But would you want your kid of. to be demeaned to get them to learn how to be demeaned? No, no definitely so that's, not. That's, that's, that's the tricky part. Yeah. Certainly. There's no yeah. doubt. So I think understanding that people are going to, in, in, you're going to experience in your life, this is you know, to my athletes, to, to my children, you're going to experience in your life that people who are not in control of their emotions in a given time, you're going to go into a workplace and the person behind the counter is going to lose their stuff and it had nothing to do with you. You were the 17th person who they had to deal with and things weren't going their way and they might disrespect you, right? In that moment, like that doesn't have to be earth shattering for you. Yeah. Because that's their problem. Right. It's not your problem, right? Right. And then on the other side, like you work with, you're talking to that person, like, hey, you've got to be able to manage this frustration because this person had nothing to do with the 17 other people and, right. and don't take it out on them. Right. And so there's two sides to that coin. But I think as the parent, right, you can handle the one side and then you can educate on the other. Right. Yeah. So, hey, when you go out in the world, you're going to you, maybe you're going to have that coach who, who who treats you the wrong way. Right. That doesn't mean that, that you got to go and have that coach get fired and you've got to you know not feel good about yourself. And that, no, it means that you've got to understand that that's his problem. Right. It's not your problem. Yeah. You you need to take what's in that message that maybe you weren't working hard enough, or maybe you, you know, you're nursing an injury that's not really an injury. It's a it's a hurt instead of an injury that you need to get a little tougher and get back out there. Right. And he's right. That doesn't mean that you are worthless or, you know, you know, not not a good teammate right. or anything. You right. don't have to so it's just working through that. It, there's no exact there's no hard rules yeah. on it. It's really making me think about what you said to start this about how the parents have changed, you know, and the parents have, uh, their, you know, the, the parents may be reflecting what they didn't like about the coaches they had well, and the way it's they, not just that it's what their reaction is to their kids adversity. That's, that's, problem. yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Okay. So when you say, I'm thinking like, you don't want, you don't want to demean your kid, but you want your kid to be tough enough to get demeaned. And so it's like, it's almost like in the home, you don't need to do it. But when you deal with someone else, I actually had my lacrosse coach said to me, I'll still remember, it was so random. And just out of nowhere, he was like, you know, Ed, 
your parents are cut from different cloths. Just out of nowhere. In retrospect, he might have just must have just had a meeting with other parents. He was like, you know, you're the only parents on this team that hasn't come up to me and complained about playing time or said I knew this or something. And like we were always raised. Ever since I was in second grade, I wanted uh, 22 because of Emmett Smith. Yeah. I was a Cowboys fan when I was young. I'll admit it. Um, but <laughs> this interview's over. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I was like, I might have to edit this out, but I did like Emmett Smith. Um, it's hard to argue that. But I wanted uh, 22. And, you know, I was playing offensive line. So, so I was Andrew in Tony from now on. Who? Andrew Tony. I don't even know who that uh, was. I was in second grade. I was, I was in second grade. Sorry. Uh, but a sexual player? Yeah. Andrew Tony. I don't Boston know. Strangler. He was a great one. What? When he was, was on our 1983 championship team. He was a two guard. He was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, he had bad feet, so his career didn't last very long. Why Boston is he called the back Boston Strangler? Because he used to light up the Celtics every time oh, really? he played him. <laughs> And great. he was a tremendous defender and a great shooter and a yeah. scorer. Okay. Yeah. I'll First look step, him up. Low by. He wore the high socks. I used to wear the high socks because of Andrew Tucker. <laughs> yeah. Not because of Evan Smith. Cause no. they, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway... I was in the 70s because I was on the offensive line, and I was like, I want to be 22. And my parents were like, well, if you want that, you got to go talk to this coach. As a little six-year-old, and I remember the coach was like, Coach Simpson. He was like, he's one of the best coaches I ever had. And I think in retrospect, it was because he was so intimidating and like um, uh, demanding and stern, you know. And it wasn't the abusive thing we were talking about. Um, and I think that kind of did set a tone uh, where I, I – I'm just thinking of this as we're talking about this, where you want them to be able to handle the demeaning, but not demean them, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think um, it's when they come to you that A, B, and C happened. Do you ultimate, do you immediately become the accuser of that person? Do you become the one who, you know, fights the battle for the kid? And when you, maybe your kid's really being soft and they really need to change. They're letting the team down, but you don't want them to hear that. So now you just go to the coach and fight the kid's battle. And then that kid's not learning anything then. So um, you need to let the kid fight that battle. Okay. If you don't like what the coach said about you, talk to him about it. Tell him, coach, you, you can't say that about me. I'm out here trying as hard as I can. And if he's right, then make a change. Right. You know, right. It's uh that that really is the crux of the issue. Like, I think coaches have gotten so much better with the way they treat and relate to players, and the way they coach them, the way they get the most out of every kid on the team instead of just one or two kids who can respond to that uh, style coaching. But the parents have gotten so much worse at backing up um, the people that are that are helping their kids get better. Yeah. And listen, there is a place for a parent to step in and say, "Hey, that was over the line, coach." Like straighten it out right and have a conversation but it can't be my kid needs the ball more and you need to play in time I, yeah it's just terrible for the kids too you know do you see even see that on the college level no I, yeah i would assume I, I, I would say that some do but uh i learned a lesson a, a long time ago that even with the players on your own team you're gonna have kids who um are where they are in the in the pecking order. It's either going to be based on talent or based on their own output, right? They're just not beating out other kids on the team. So then they're not playing. Well, when they're not playing, they're not happy. Well, you know they're not happy, so now you engage them less because they're not happy and you think they're upset at you. And then there's this snowball that it, it's, it becomes a disaster. I've learned that you've got to talk to that player that you're not playing that much even more than the one you're playing a lot, right? You got to engage them. You got to let them know you still care. Explain to them why they are where they are, and that you want them to get out of that. Yeah. And, and 
a lot of times, you know, especially after games, it's going to be uncomfortable because you know they're pissed they didn't just play. Well, even more so with the parents. Like, I used to, you know, you go in the locker room, you're done, you get your stuff, you leave. Now, I will intentionally go where the families are, right? And I know some of them are going to be mad, but I'm going to let them know that, like, I love your kid the same. And it's okay that you're upset they didn't play because you're mom and dad, and that's okay. But I'm going to say, how you doing? I'm going to say, you know, how was, it, how was the ride in? What's going on? Because... That's going to let them know that, like, it's not just player-coach, right? We're trying to build a, a bigger connection here. We're going to care about your kid beyond whether they put the ball in the basket or not. And if you have something to say, you can come talk to me. Well, once they know they can do that, then nobody wants to talk. Oh, yeah. Once the <laughs> option's there, they're yeah. like, oh, right. Because they, like, what are they going to – they're going to get have to hear that your kid's not playing because A, B, and C. Yeah. And – you know, it's, I'm not the only one. There's five five coaches here. We're all seeing the same thing. And if we disagreed, then, you know, they'd get more of an up, whatever. Right. Um, but they're on full scholarship. They're really well taken care of. And we talk to the parents when there's something on the kid's plate that we don't know about. They call us, hey, she's dealing with this. Or travel plans sometimes we get calls. But as far as, like, complaints about playing time and this and that, here's some. But it's not – it's never an issue because – just direct conversation cures all that. Yeah. When you when it becomes no, I don't want to hear it from you. I can't. You can't question me. Then you get now you get a problem. You can question everything I do. I'm open to interpretation. Yeah. That's what every fan does with every sports team I've ever been a part right. of. Right. I don't think Nick Sirianni gets you know anything he does doesn't get right. questioned. That's right. that's the nature of the game. That's why they go and face the media, the pros, right, and they have to answer all the questions and it just gets it out there. And the coaches who can't handle that part of it really struggle. Right. So I invite that. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. I think as a coach, you, you should probably not have conversations with parents that the kids aren't aware of unless it's, you know, something that they don't need to be aware of. But if it's, we're talking about this sport, this this game, then I'm going to let them know we talk. Like, they're right. not hiding that. And then they don't want to talk right. a lot of times because they don't want to know they're calling you because the kids don't want the the kids want to deal with their own problems when they get to this age now on the flip side you have eight kids yes and i assume some of them have played sports all of them so when you're on the flip side of that i'm thinking if i'm coaching one of your kids knowing you're a division one coach with two decades of experience i might be like looking over my shoulder during the game like what'd you think of that you'd be surprised so um some coaches have wanted input some coaches have not wanted any input and I love to talk the game, no matter what it is, baseball or, or basketball. I don't know that at, at much about football. I come in here and ask Coach Day questions about football, my associate head coach. I will always talk to their coaches if they want to talk about stuff, and I don't have any need to say anything if they don't because they're, that's their team. That's their job. Yeah. My kid's a member of the team, and my kid's job is to do what the coach wants them to do, and that's yeah. that. But, like, you know, with football, which I'm not as well aware of, but, like, my son, I'm watching him uh, to start the season. He's on the defensive end, and, you know, he's, like, tiptoeing around. Like, he's not – so we we came, you know, I got him, and we just watched defensive ends, you know, blow through the line on YouTube and get him to understand, like, you, you, it's got to be violent. you got to go get it. Yeah, yeah. And so um, – but I'm never going to say things that aren't reinforcing what the coaches are telling them. So I had to ask, like, are you supposed to go upfield? Like, you know, and he's like, I don't know. Well, then you need to ask coach. Like, are you supposed to go yeah. upfield or are you supposed to hold your spot and wait to see what happens? So, you know, just trying not to 
you know, trying to help my kid be the best version of themselves, but tr- not going to step on what the coach is trying to get them to do because that's what they need to do. There's no other way to do it. The way to do it is the way your coach wants you to do it on that team. He plays for another coach, might be a different way. But, right. And so I just reinforce that with them and help them understand that, like, not every coach, not every parent coaching a team, right, is going to be an amazing coach. They're still giving their time. So, and if they weren't there, maybe nobody would be there because I coach uh, Little League Baseball and it's, sometimes it's tough to get people to step up and volunteer, right? So even if you think he called the wrong play or did the wrong thing, be thankful he's there because you could be at home uh, swinging on the swings and not playing you know, football or baseball right, or whatever right. it is. So I just reinforce that message all the time that like your coach is the best coach in the world for your team right now because he's the one doing it. No one else is doing it. So I'm not, no complaining. Yeah. My, my dad got me in high school, he said. I was complaining about my coach as a junior. I didn't play very much. I think I got three at-bats my junior year at Cal. And I was complaining. And he said, if you don't like it, quit. But I don't want to hear another word. <laughs> and that was it. I knew I didn't want to quit. So I shut up. I might have complained to my friends, but no right, word to my right. dad. And that's kind of what I tell him. Like, you can't, if there's any complaints, you need to leave that yeah. somewhere else. Because I don't have time for it. Talk to your coach about it. That kind of reminds me of a story. Honestly, like a life-changing moment. Uh, I got cut from uh, East-West in Springfield. There was like the two travel teams. And I got cut and I was moping around. And same kind of situation. My dad was like, you know you didn't try your best. Knock it off. Again, I knew I couldn't complain anymore at home, and it was like, yeah, you know, I didn't, I could have done more, I could have practiced more, I could have prepared more, and like every time I do come up short, I just automatically go back to like, could I prepare more, and it kind of like, you know, sometimes I prepared the most, and I still come up short, and it's like, hey. You know, I took a shot and, you know, you lose or you fail or whatever. But that's funny. We had similar experiences in that. You said you coached Little League as well? Yeah. So I'm kind of curious. It's like your whole life is just sports. Pretty much, right? I mean, that's pretty – that's amazing. Uh, I have been blessed to be able to coach as a profession. I grew up with really good coaches in Overbrook, coaching every sport I played. You know, I coached – I don't know how many kids, maybe maybe my age, there were more, but like today, I had a JV 5th uh, and 6th grade boys basketball coach and then a 7th and 8th grade boys basketball coach who didn't have a kid on the team. They were two young guys who coached the team, and that was really impactful. Like, they didn't have an agenda. They just wanted to help us be better and win, win yeah. games. They were competitive. Um, you know, my baseball teams, you know, I always had good coaches. And I was, you know, really fortunate. The school I went to was really good. So I was able to, you know, I talk about it all the time. Like I'm the head coach at LaSalle University in part because I picked a high school based on where my friends were going. Like if I don't go to Carroll, which had one of the best girls basketball teams in the country, if I don't go to Carroll and I go to West Catholic, I'm not coaching basketball today. I don't even have this job. It's a whole different path. But I got cut from the basketball team. I was asked to be the manager of the girls team. And the rest is history. If I went to a different school with a bad program, like I'm not coaching the same athletes. I'm not learning from as good a coach. Like everything yeah. would be different. I believe it was when you got this job here, they did a write-up in the Enquirer. Mm-hmm. I read about how you had quite a journey. Now, I have no aspirations to be a coach, but yeah. taking a more entrepreneurial path, um, it's, a, similar. It's, a, it's a rocky road, you know? Yeah. And I remember something that really stood out to me. At one point, it might have been your first or second job uh, coaching. Uh, it was like $5,000 a year, and you took a job. At a hotel, I think, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Um, Good memory. I, I guess I just kind of want to know, like, again, like, I have a baby on the way. 
I'm excited, but you also know that's an expense, you know? And it's like, I've got to make sure I'm like doing the right thing financially. And yeah. Yeah. So right out of college, taught in a Catholic grade school. So it wasn't a high paying gig at all. And Joni Gallagher played at Boston College. Her assistant coach got the head job at the University of Vermont. And I was like, hey, why don't you take me? I was coaching at Archbishop Carroll and working at the, at the uh, Mother of Sorrows. And he's like, nah, you know, I can't, you know, the demographics of his staff. He couldn't bring another guy on the staff and this and that. And then they opened up positions in the NCAA. They called them restricted earnings. So you could give them a, you know, a l- little bit of money and they could come on the staff. And they could oh, okay. So um, I became the restricted earnings coach making $5,000, right? For Turns, the year, the whole the, season. The whole season. Yeah. Turns out I had a, which is about what I made coaching at Carroll. Okay. <laughs> it's about the same. Oh, way. wow. All right. Um, High school to yeah. college level. Right. I had a cousin who lived in Underhill, which was about 40 minutes away from Burlington. They had a room. They said I could stay there. And uh, Keith got me a job at the Sheridan uh, waiting breakfast in the morning. So that was my that was my gig. And I absolutely loved it. But um, life began to change. I realized I wanted to get married and five grand wasn't going to cut it. So I had to get a real job. But, you know, again, this is just, you know, the Lord just ordaining my steps. I just blessed. So I grew up working at Future Stars camps, which is Kathy Rush basketball camps. Kathy Rush, Hall of Fame, Naismith, Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, was the head coach at Immaculata. You might have seen the movie The Mighty Max. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's her. She started a camp empire. And I used to be a counselor at her camps. Around here in Delaware County. So Swarthmore College, DelVal College. Oh, yeah. She had them everywhere. But so I used to, you know, that's how I made my money in the summers. And um, so I came back for the Final Four in 2000, which was held um, right here in Philadelphia. And I'm networking with everybody trying to get a job. Well, they honored Kathy at that Final Four, which was really a neat experience. Uh, just as a total aside, but Gino had the microphone and he, he said, listen, anybody, because they were honoring like seven or eight different people. He said, Everybody in here who's in some way been touched by Kathy Rush either was a camper, worked for her, played for her one day, or played for her players who played for her, raise your hand. This was a huge room of people, and almost every hand was up. Because that's how she touched the women's basketball community. So I connected with Kathy that night, told her what I was, you know, trying to get another job, get somewhere else. And she offered me a job running her camps. Well, you know, that's the same position that, you know, Gino once held, Muffet McGraw once held. A lot of years earlier, the camps were much bigger then. But, like, it's a legit basketball job in this business at the time. And it was going to keep me in the game. I was going to still get to coach back at my old high school. So I was going to take that job back. It was awesome. I worked there for five years. Then I had another crossroads. So after five years, uh, camp had got increased in numbers for the first four years. But in the fifth year, it took a dip back down below year four. And Kathy wanted the business to keep growing, which that's her job. That's right, why she's a great right. business person. She said, listen, I need you to devote more time to, you know, recruiting campers and, and running camp and not coaching at the high school. You got to make a choice. And I made a choice. I was going to keep coaching. Oh, wow. So I, I had to then find another job. So then I got a job. Uh, and working with a group called Generation Life, spreading the pro-life and chastity message. So I spoke to thousands of kids at all Catholic grade schools and auditoriums all over uh, for two years. And then I got hired at the University of New Hampshire. Been in the college game ever since. So but while you were doing the, what was that called? So it was Generation Life. So while you were doing Generation Life, you were still looking for coaching jobs. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. 
You know, I I would say the first year I wasn't because I was coaching at Cal. I was at like, okay. Okay. It was, oh, you were still coaching yeah. Cal, so you were still you never took a break from coaching. But Generation Life, like the the, the mission is a, a movement of young people spreading the public chest message to other young people. Well, I started looking in the mirror. Now I got three kids. So yeah, I'm, I'm no longer in that. <laughs> right, I don't feel like young people anymore. So, right, right, right. Um, it's a lie I still tell myself yeah. every day when I sign on the YouTube. Coach Day. Um, was coaching at St. Joe's at the time in the Atlantic 10. And um, Kristen Cole, who took the job at New Hampshire, was coaching at Xavier. So they knew each other. And I had known Kristen. She recruited one of my players when I was at Carroll a long time before. And he said, you should talk to Mountain. And uh, she did. And got the job there. Was there two years. And went to Quinnipiac. And then the rest is kind of history from there. But again, I owe Coach Day, my associate coach, like if he doesn't make that call, I don't get back in the game. That's crazy. I mean, I, I must have sent out, in the five years of Future Stars, I must have applied for a hundred jobs. And I probably talked to two people, maybe three. Yeah. Um, nobody ever acknowledged the application or called back or anything. Yeah. I got, you know, Kathy Rush on there and I had, you know, I don't know who else, maybe Fillmore. I had all these references. And, nope, nothing. Wow. So... When it came down to making that choice between coaching high school or the camp, yeah. uh, like was it a no-brainer? Was it, it was a no-brainer. Really? I mean, I had to ask my wife because I was going right. to not have a job. Right, right, right. But that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I knew what I wanted to do, and that was nothing was changing that. That's really cool. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who has that passion but also has life showing up? Yeah. You have to find a way to pay the bills, and you've got to take care of your responsibilities. But – if you can do those things and hold on to that passion, like Stoke, and I've seen it over and over again. So now I'm in the game, you know, young coaches who want to get in and I see them calling and calling and calling, but like, and then they get a job and then they get in and boom, and then they're out. They don't coach anymore. You find out if it's really for you. So like, yeah. you know, you were talking about your situation, your, your content creator, and you know, I'm assuming you're loving it and you're doing it, but like, it'll get to a point where you decide that it's too hard or not good enough. Then you're. That's also you decided that I. This isn't my true passion. Like, just, right. as I'm going to go in another direction. Right. And so you see it happen with a lot of people. Yeah. Um. And this game's hard, right? It's hard. You know, it's hard being an assistant coach working for somebody else. Um. I was really blessed. I had an unbelievable boss at Quinnipiac, Trish Fabry. She taught me so much about the game, but she was just so confident in who she was that it was easy for me to coach with her because she was never like you know I wasn't afraid to step on her toes or anything. Like we just. She allowed me to, to work with her, and it was awesome. Yeah. It was so much fun. But other people get into situations where it's not that, and then they don't want to coach anymore, and they want to get out. Yeah. Or you get into a head coaching position, and then you get fired, and then nobody you don't want to do it anymore. Like, if I lose this job, I don't know what else I'm qualified to do. I might end up at Wawa, um, you know, making sandwiches, but I'm going to coach somebody's team somewhere. Right. Like, right. So I don't know whether it's seventh grade or high school or whatever. Like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool. Well, yeah. I appreciate that. Do you have time to go grab a cheesesteak? I don't know if you've seen any of my reviews, but I always that's run good. into it. You want to actually go grab a steak? It, it's to? totally up to you. Yeah, let's go. Let's go to Del Sandro's. Awesome. Cool. See you at Del Sandro's.